0: Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Love at First Laugh. Uh, We are today uh, going to talk with Steve Scrobank, who's been on the podcast many, many times. And as you all know, his credits include Everybody Loves Raymond, Seinfeld, and a million others. Um, And I love this guy. He's amazing. And he has stories. He's going to spill the tea on foreign productions of Everybody Loves Raymond. So get ready to... Uh, drink some tea. <laughs> so here it is, Steve Scriven. Hi, Steve. How Hi, are you? Doing.
1: How you doing? Let's uh, let's get some tea. Let's get yeah, some tea. let's oh. spill the
0: tea. <laughs>
1: that's that's some deep. Is that supposed to be deep dark secrets? Spilling the tea or what? Yeah,
0: what? yeah, it is. It's kind of yeah. like spill the beans, but a little bit yeah. more intense. It's like more gossipy.
1: More gossipy. Okay. All yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So we want the the juicy gossip.
1: You want the you want the uh, the uh, hard tea. All right.
0: Yes, yes, like a really caffeinated, like Earl Grey tea. That's what we yeah. want.
1: All right, all right. Yeah. Well we'll see what we can do. I'm not sure, you know.
0: <laughs> if you can step the- up to I'm the
1: I'm talking about, yeah. I don't know how juicy it'll be, but it'll be I have some good stories.
0: Yes, Oh, you always do anyway. So that's I'm very excited to hear them, all the stories that you're having already we have some people dave hi dave we have jeffrey peterson hi oh yeah jeffrey i is, are you the jeffrey the comic cuz there might be a couple on my uh, on my friends list but thank you guys for joining us and uh, bring it on steve that's what dave is saying so let's start with Tell us, where did you uh, participate in productions of Everybody Loved Ray- Loves Raymond in what countries?
1: Well, Raymond was one of those shows, and it's not the only one that was um, uh, chosen uh, to be marketed overseas. And one of the reasons it is because it's about family and family is universal. Yeah. And uh, so we probably the first place it went was Russia and Phil Rosenthal did actually a documentary called exporting Raymond, which if you're interested in this, you should check that out because cool. it's about the show being established in, uh, in Russia. And it turns out it's, I think, the Guinness book of world records, the, uh, biggest adaptation of a show. We, we did 210 episodes in America, in Russia, cool. they've done twice that Yes, uh, they wrote original rep ep, uh, episodes So, but the first place I went was Israel. Uh, And I should say about the Russia thing is that my friend, my late, the late great Jeremy Stevens, he's the one who is really the one over there who established the Raymond in Russia, along Mm -hmm. with Phil, who was, you know, there at the beginning. But he, when I got to Russia, uh, Jeremy was like a god over there. He was like, uh, you know, they built a statue to him in one of the squares next to Dostoevsky. (laughs) But anyway, the first place I went was uh, Israel. And that was very cool because uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time overseas. And just to say in general, doing something like this overseas is a great way to be in a country because Mm -hmm. basically what you're doing as opposed to being a tourist where you can have a great tourist experience but it's always just that a tourist experience. What I was doing was going there and meeting with people and being in a writer's room with people who are talking about their lives and telling the stories of their lives and how their lives uh, were the same or different than my experience of life in America, and there is no better way to get to know a country than to get to know those stories and get to know how people um, respond. And and probably the biggest takeaway I would have is that no matter where you are in the world, human beings are basically the same,
0: right? And, and yep.
1: families basically are the same. And, uh, you know, with little cultural differences and religious things and holidays here and there uh, that are sort of on the margins. But the relationships, you know, whether it's between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law or, uh, you know, a son and his parents or a wife and husband, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty universal. And that's why Raymond was able to travel so well. And uh, so in in Israel it, it was really great. Actually, Phil and I went over together for the first week, and then I stayed another four weeks. And uh, Daniel Lappin was the showrunner, and he'd had a hit show in Israel of his own uh, about uh, his own uh, based on his own life. And so he really knew what he was doing. And there really wasn't a whole lot for us to do. He had cast it. Uh, what was interesting uh, about that is um, he'd cast. You know, we had Brad Garrett who was 6'8", and Ray, who was not a small guy, Ray's about 6'1", but still, Brad dwarfed everybody in the cast. And, you know, it was going to be very hard to reproduce that. Right. And so, in uh, Israel, uh, Daniel cast a guy who was fairly tall, but the guy who was playing Ray, Yuval, and that was his name in the show, Yuval, um, was almost, it was just the same height. And so we said, well, you don't have to keep, you know, and you don't have to. It doesn't matter because it's about the attitude. It's not about his height. And then, yeah. no, no, I want to keep the tall jokes. So he oh. made he made the, the guy who played Robert at Peeney was his name. Peeney. He made him wear lifts in his shoes to make him a little holler. Yeah. And Peeni would after, you know, a whole day of, of filming would uh, just couldn't wait to get out of those shoes because they were killing him. Yeah. Yes. So Daniel could get the tall jokes and it wasn't like he was even (laughs) that much taller, but he wanted to get all the tall jokes. But what struck me is that, you know, they don't have the same budgets we we have here in America. Really? Oh, no, not at all. And uh, so, uh, you know, we have all of these fancy uh, uh, cameras and uh, audio equipment where people are in cranes and but these guys were literally like the sound guys they had to hold up the boom mics in their arms like this. Oh wow. The set. And I don't know how they did. It. I don't know how they hold their arms up that, that long, but yes. it was, so it was a little primitive in that way because it's lower budget and, yeah. uh, you know, they just can't afford the, not, you know, all the equipment, but, uh, that, it was a great experience for me because again, I got to stay, in a like a five star hotel, nice in this neighborhood called Nevitsetic, which was kind of the boutique West Village kind of part of Tel Aviv. Nice, and so there are a lot of cafes, and I actually got to um, uh, hang around. But there's a funny story when I first got there, and again, there's a big time change, so it's about 11 o'clock at night for them, and I don't know how you know. Uh, Late it is for me it was early for me so i'm kind of wandering around the streets and uh i must have blended in pretty well because i wasn't there for more than 10 minutes then a car pulled up and these guys in this car were asking me for directions and
0: <laughs> okay
1: and all, and I couldn't even you know I can't speak Hebrew so I couldn't even answer that I just no I'm an idiot a foreigner I don't know <laughs> right but by the end of the five weeks I was there and and that wasn't the first time it happened so I must have looked Israeli or whatever that's
0: crazy I love that
1: yeah and I'm not even Jewish but you know yeah. I, I can pass
0: you can totally pass but were you able to give directions by the end uh, of I, like
1: I was able to give people directions I had hung out in the neighborhood long enough that they because yeah yeah go down here and make a right and,
0: very impressive
1: yeah yeah
0: wow but of course you gave them in english everybody speaks english there right most people well
1: there's a lot of people speak english but uh everything is in hebrew all the signs are in hebrew arabic and english okay and uh, i had a translator there because all the scripts were in hebrew and, and right. the, not all the actors spoke english although a couple of them did uh uh The uh, the the Ray character named Yuval, who's a great actor, he uh, he spoke fluent English, and um, they they have a great theater tradition in Israel, and that's all all of the actors are connected to some theater company in Tel Aviv, and they have a small TV production, uh, you know, a couple of uh, networks, but it's uh, you know it's dwarfed by you know what happens here, so they really make their money doing theater. And all oh. with the theater company. And that's kind of like your home base. It's kind of like with us when we were comics, you know, you're an improv. Right. Director, Catch a Rising Star, comedy store, you were associated. They are connected to these theaters. And then these theaters do little road productions of their repertoire. Yeah. Out in the rest of the, you know, out of Tel Aviv and the rest of the country. And that's kind of like uh, how they get known or how they, they get paid. Is they do these road productions all around Israel of whatever shows they happen to be doing, but
0: very uh, cool. Yeah, so how did they they adapt to the culture? Like, obviously, you know, well,
1: it was an easy adaptation because basically, you know, Phil Rosenthal is Jewish. It's kind right. It's a Jewish family posing as an Italian family, <laughs> Not that much di- ha- being half Italian myself and, and raised. Yeah. Not a whole lot of difference between Italians and Jews. Yeah.
0: And, I'm three quarters, so I totally know what you mean. Yeah. It's kind of like the same.
1: And, you know, the, they, would have, uh, they would have different holidays, of course. Yeah. So we always do a Thanksgiving show and a Christmas show. And uh, I actually, an episode that I wrote was a Halloween show and they don't have halloween there so uh you know they couldn't do that show and actually that show was uh, edgy for its time back in the late 90s it had to do with condoms and they wouldn't they couldn't do it for that reason because it was too scandalous same thing in russia same thing in india
0: wow Uh, that was scandalous wow uh, yeah couldn't do it
1: they wouldn't they they couldn't do it it was too much you know we did other shows that dealt with sex, but something, you know, that particular episode got awards for its safe sex message, uh, but other places didn't want to do it. But other, you know, places in the countries, I mean, in the world. But, um, yeah, that was uh, another show we couldn't do, which was a cultural thing, was another episode that I had I, co-written with my friend Lou Schneider. And it was about... Um, uh, it was a rivalry. It was a sibling rivalry show between Ray and Robert uh, with the backdrop being that they're playing on the same pickup basketball team and who becomes captain of the team who gets to be captain is it was like Ray going to be Robert, whatever. And uh, Daniel said, I can't do that show. And I said, uh, why not? And it wasn't a holiday or anything yeah. he said, because we don't do recreational sports in Israel. I said, "What? You don't, you don't like have what? bowling teams or anything?" Just, "No, we have athletics, but it's all school or professional. But they don't have like softball teams or bowling leagues or anything like that." Which was a surprise because I thought oh. everyone that would be universal, but apparently it is not.
0: How interesting! Like things like
1: real. Like, so that.
0: Things that you wouldn't think about that would be an issue or an, an issue that's so weird,
1: and he couldn't find a substitute for it because that's frequently what you do. um I'll jump ahead to India because in India, there was an episode that they wanted to do that had to do with uh, Frank being a civil war reenactor oh which is thing here, yeah. And of course it's not you know they have enough real war in India they don't need to reenact a civil war.
0: Exactly. And so
1: one of the writers very cleverly thought um what if we did what if the backdrop wasn't civil war reenactment but it's this thing called kabaddi. Now I said what's kabaddi? Now kabaddi is that they do have recreational sports in India apparently. Okay. But kabaddi is this thing, and you could look it up on YouTube, where it's kind of a cross between Red Rover and rugby, where grown men in uh, like loin claws, shirtless <laughs> men, uh, link arms or, or grab each other by the shoulders on one team and the other team tries to break their, their, through their line or in, in, in some sort of circle. Yeah. And, and they chant they go. They 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 kind of pat pat themselves. They have this ritual, and and they chant like cavity, You know, and then somebody rushes another. And they said, "What if we did it?" It, it was uh, because the the essence of the Civil War reenactment is that uh, Ray and uh, Robert and Frank are going to do it. And Ray says he doesn't want to do it, but then when he doesn't get included, he now wants to do it.
0: Well, of course.
1: But when he does it, he's got to be a Confederate. He's not on the union side with Frank and Robert, so they they said, "Why don't we do this the comedy thing?" So they uh, uh, substituted comedy for civil war reenactment, which has you know there's nothing really related to them except that it's a team you can be on. So uh, that was the clever thing that this writer came up with.
0: Very clever. And
1: so so Frank and Robert are on one comedy team and. And as soon as they told me what it was and said that they're going to be men, middle-aged men in loincloths, I said, you know what? That's funnier than our episode. Yes. It's so much funnier than if you can get me, you know, like <laughs> a Peter Boyle and a Brad Garrett and a Ray Romano on a loincloth, that would be that's so much funnier than totally. Civil War outfits. And I, I, the Indians were very pleased when I said, I, I, I'm telling you, This is the one time I can guarantee you that your episode is funnier than the original.
0: I love that. I bet they were excited.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and I actually never saw the episode in its completion, but in my head, I know it's funnier because
0: just from what you're describing, I'm going to Google it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So tell me a little bit about like the process. So, you had different roles in the different countries, right? So yeah. what were your roles? Let's say, let's start with India. What was your role there?
1: Well, let's actually, let's not, because India is the most complex. So let's- Oh, start.
0: okay. So the I easiest- Israel, which was the okay. easiest
1: because okay. I just to be on stage and give the actors some notes and they were just soaking it all up. And they're all, and like nice. I said, they're great actors because they're all so theater trained. And so it was, that was just, it was, a, it was really a vacation. and not a whole lot of work. And, uh, uh, I, I got to, you know, just go out and listen to people in Israel and go to dinner and hear their political discussions and learn about the country and things that I didn't know and have that perspective. So that was kind of an easy gig and very delightful and, uh, made some very good friends in Russia, which was the next one, which is probably about three or four years later. I, uh, as I said, my friend Jeremy Stevens had kind of been their advisor for mm-hmm. four
0: years. Yes.
1: And so I was coming in. They had already, they'd burned through our 200 episodes and they wanted to write new episodes. So the person at Sony, because it was done under the auspices of Sony
0: mm-hmm.
1: Entertainment, asked me if I would go. And I went, Unfortunately, fortunately I went in the summertime. I uh, wasn't interested in going to Russia in the wintertime. <laughs> uh, That's you know, so fun. Yeah. The French and the Germans know how hard that is, I think. (laughs) And so even though I was there for two months in like, uh, you know, July, August, uh, six, eight weeks, six out of those eight weeks, it was overcast and rainy. Oh, my God. So, but I was in the uh, writer's room generating new stories. Now, by that time, I was about eight years away from uh, the end of the show. And when we ended the show, in 2005 we pretty much had emptied the well we thought you know we don't want to repeat ourselves yeah you know it's time to we were one of those shows that was able to end on its own terms it wasn't canceled and it wasn't um you know it was like ray and phil decided okay this will be it
0: yeah
1: so now the russians have burned through our 200 episodes and they and it's a huge hit and it's called it's not called everybody loves you know uh Raymond or any equivalent of that. It's called the Veronins. It's named after the family.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And and in Israel, it was not everybody loves Yuval either. It was and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact title, but it had something to do with family. And, yeah. you know, the family always is together or, you know, or family is terrible. I don't know what it was, but it, <laughs> it was not, didn't, tra- that didn't translate. In India, it was everybody loves Sumit. Basically, nice. Sumit was the main character, so it was Sumit Samballegal. So it was uh, everybody loves Sumit. So that was the the thing. So eight years away now, I come into this room and I am uh, uh, the well had filled up a little bit. Yeah, these characters that I I had not created, but I was like one of the uncles that helped raise them. Uh, it was kind of interesting to revisit this again, eight years later. And, and also with fresh eyes for uh, a bunch of people who were excited about it. And uh, one of our writers was um, an ex-orthopedic surgeon. His name was Max. And I said, you're an orthopedic surgeon? What, what are you doing here? Yeah, right? I can make more money... Writing on this show than I can as an orthopedic surgeon.
0: Oh my God. What?
1: Is that some tea? Am I spilling some tea?
0: You were spilling like serious tea are here. Our
1: laps are yes. our laps this burning. Is
0: so gray. This is what I want it.
1: <laughs> and uh, so I started helping them think about stories. And I had a translator, this great translator, Yvonne, who was so facile. He could play a video game. As he translated for me. And because it was some left brain, right brain thing. And Crazy. so he played a video game. And what I learned with the translator, which I didn't really need in Israel so much, because Daniel spoke English, is I had to speak in chunks. I couldn't just ramble on like I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I had because I needed the translator to be able to catch up and yeah. catch them up. So I really had to think about what I was thinking about. And then Got a chance to think about what the next thing I was gonna say. Yes. Uh so it it, it actually brought slow me down and uh is that bite. good though? It was good, it was really? good to be yeah, to kind of consider what you're saying instead of just
0: yeah, traveling. rather than spilling tea,
1: spilling the yes, <laughs> you don't you know?
0: spill the tea, you just serve the tea,
1: yeah, and then I'd have to yeah. wait for them to respond. Yeah. And get the translation and go back and forth, but it was it was fairly smooth. Yes. And um, uh, the, the the interesting thing about that room the couple interesting, I'll tell you two stories about the Russian room. The Russian tea room where we're gonna spell tea. Bingo.
0: <laughs> there you go. We're gonna put that tea everywhere. <laughs>
1: You're going to be so sorry you use that expression.
0: I know (laughs) never again.
1: (laughs) One story uh, was that one of the things I had to teach them and it wasn't like I was there to teach them anything. And you know, Mm -hmm. they were, they, they weren't the most experienced writers, but they, they adapted all these scripts. So they knew the show well and, and uh, kind of knew what they were doing. And, um, I would kind of, uh, pitch an idea mm-hmm. and then they would, a lot of them would just kind of sit there and then, cause I'm, I'm kind of pitching an idea and hoping they'll pick it up and run with it. And when they didn't pick it up and run with it, I'd say, okay, then how about this? And then I would keep talking. And then I would kind of throw it to them and they were very, you know, very shy. Interesting. And I realized, uh, I need to teach them that they can fail, that not everything they say has to be, has to score. I love that. In an American writer's room, you learn, uh, we have this thing called room bits, where people do room bits, where you do a, a joke and it falls flat, and then you do something goofy to get a laugh that has nothing to do with the joke. Yeah. Very different technique. I used to do a thing where, if I said something and it got no laugh, I would just slowly fall out of my chair. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, the the funniest one was my, my friend, Mike Rowe, invented this room bit that uh, he called the up and away. I called it the get up and go. And what you do is you pitch something. If it doesn't go well, you pretend that you're upset and that you're, so <laughs> that you're quitting. And so you start gathering your notebooks and your laptop and anything. The idea is you grab anything that is close to you and fill your arms with it and then walk out in the huff. And I was in one room when I was working at Warner Brothers on an American show, which was great because it was on the ground floor and there was a window overlooking your parking lot. So you could do the get up and go take and go out the room. And the key is you have to stay out for Considerable, you know, you just can't come back in and go. Hey, hey, hey I was just right. you have to stay out. Yeah. But what was great about that room at Warner Brothers is it had this, you know, big long window out to the parking <laughs> lot, so yeah. you could go out, and then nobody would see you. And uh, like two minutes later, you could walk by the window like, <laughs> like you were still pissed off, heading to your car. So you get two laughs out of it.
0: That's awesome.
1: So I had to teach them. That it's okay if you say something and it bombs. Yes. Because I think they were just being too careful. They wanted to have something completely formed. You could, you know, to take risks.
0: Yes, absolutely. Probably
1: that was my biggest contribution. I don't know if it stuck, but that was probably my biggest contribution to that writer's room to teach them how to take risks. Mm-hmm. And so I said it, up. I told them about Mike Rose, get up and go take. And I, uh, I said, I'm going to demonstrate it for you. <laughs> and so the, uh, Dimitri, we called uh, Dima, Dima um, uh, I said, Dima, I'm going to say something, and you're going to go, that's no good. And I, and he said, okay. So I said whatever I said, and he said in Russian, that's no good. And I started,
0: <laughs>
1: and I walked out of the room, kicked open the door, walked out of the room. And they were just doubled over, laughing, at this. And you know, I came back in. It was like, yeah, this this is what you have to do. Find a saver. You know, I I would tell people you never pitch. Never pitch standing up because, you know, you're sitting around a conference table and you, sometimes you get really excited. and You stand up and you go, oh, how about this? And then, and then uh, it bombs. It's <laughs> a very well, it's, long trip back to your seats
0: going down. you got to Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's kind of like trying new jokes during stand up. Yes. So it's just no, yeah. don't
1: stand up. Don't stand. I tell you, don't stand up.
0: Yeah, but we the, see them every day. That's so. a long trip down Yeah, the
1: it's, it's like hours to get, you know, coming off the Ferris wheel. Oh, my God. So that, w- that was kind of the the experience in Russia. The other story I want to tell you about Russia was when I was there, Vladimir Putin had just instituted these anti-gay laws. Ooh. Like you couldn't, uh, uh, what was the terminology they used? Uh, you couldn't uh, like impose gaiety on people or something, like have a parade and that, you know, you couldn't, you know, he he wasn't going to, uh, I guess, jail people for, but it was like, there was some law like that. And we were talking about this at one point. And uh, it was very interesting because I was 20 years older than the next oldest person in that room. And with the exception of one of the women writers, one of the female writers, I felt like I was talking to my dad mm. about homosexuality.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Culturally, they have not, at least, at least the people in this room, and I, I should say the people in this room were they were not Muscovites in general, they were from yeah. another city in like central Russia, which is probably be like the equivalent of Chicago, some industrial yeah. city in the central Russia. So maybe, you know, uh, maybe they were hipper in in, in Moscow. Uh, certainly the, 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 the woman was Anya. But the guys were like, yeah, but if you're gay, how do you, you know, increase the population? They, they were still talking about sex. You know, you know, homosexuality is it was about sex and not about identity. They hadn't made that exactly. leap from it's about sex. It's not about sex as much as it's about identity. Absolutely. That leap had not been made there, which is, you know, 20 years kind of behind. Yes. Was. And here I am 20 years older than them trying to explain all of this. And it was kind of like, yeah, but I, I, I don't get it. You know, they, they just didn't get it.
0: But what they also had
1: was uh, one, and this is connected to this. Um, my translator Ivan told me it was like uh, sometime in early August, and he said, the, "Don't don't go out tonight," because I, I was uh, at a hotel. Actually, it wasn't a hotel; it was an apartment building. Uh, it was a few blocks from Red Square, so you could walk down to Red Square and uh, uh, you know see all those sites. And he said, "Don't." Uh, don't hang out today because it's it's a Paratroopers Day. I said, "What's Paratroopers Day?" And he said, "Well, it's it's a military holiday that's kind of a, a holdover from the Soviet days, where uh, the, the paratroopers um, they get together and basically, in this is not how he explained it to me, but it's the celebration of the of the paratrooper uh, uh, section of their military, and they wear these um, sweaters." Uh, that have uh, blue and white stripes and they wear berets. That's the paratrooper sort of outfit. And basically what happens, <laughs> what I discovered, what happens is the paratroopers, they have a parade in Red Square and then they go to Gorky Park and beat up gays and foreigners. <laughs> they get oh really drunk. And I said, wow, that kind of sounds like uh, our St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so That's kind of what he's, if it was in New York, he'd say, you know, St. Patrick's Day, don't, don't, don't ride the subway today.
0: Yeah, oh my God.
1: So we have this discussion about gay, and then we have this, I I learned about Paratroopers Day. So I decided to do some research, and I looked up, I Googled pictures of Paratroopers Day, and Paratroopers Day was
0: really gay.
1: It was really gay. Because you get these paratroopers, pictures of them kissing each other, hugging, standing in their underwear in a fountain, doing all of these things. So I wrote a Huffington Post blog because in those days I was on Huffington Post about Putin's law and how as a foreigner, I didn't want to, you know, violate that law. So Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So distinguish between what is gay and what is not gay. And so I got all these photos from gay pride parades around the world and juxtaposed them next to all these photos of paratroopers day. And I would put a photo of a gay pride parade and it would be like, uh, you know, uh, Jason Collins, who was the big basketball player who came out and he's wearing a, you know, baseball cap and he's, he's, you know, just wearing a t-shirt and jeans and, you know, not flamboyant at all. And I, put that up against the picture of some, some guy, you know, in his underwear uh, in, in the fountain at Gorky park. And and I'd say, okay, just make sure Jason Collins, gay, this guy, not gay. (laughs) Right. And I would do, I did that for about a dozen things where I, I actually got down to the, the Russian Orthodox prelate who was in these garments that he looked like Clarabelle, he made the Pope look like, uh, (laughs) he was like, you know, made the Pope look like, uh, you know, nothing. Yeah. And, you know, and I found a picture of somebody at a gay pride parade who was similarly dressed in sort of some motley clothing.
0: Excellent. Not gay. I love that.
1: Yeah. And so um, it was very interesting because I wrote it up posted on the Huffington Post and one of the writers, the head writer came over because I showed because they were interested and they thought it was funny. I remember the head writer saying to me, I I could never write that. I could never do that here.
0: He would be in trouble.
1: He would be in trouble. I was in trouble because I'm American and it's in English and they don't care. Yeah. And uh, sometimes there were times when I had trouble finding a picture from a gay pride parade that was, just as gay as what was happening at paratroopers day.
0: Stop.
1: You know, with guys kissing each other and, you know,
0: Oh, wow.
1: Could not, you know, sometimes I had a hard time finding uh, a thing that was gayer than paratroopers day.
0: The hypocrisy.
1: Yeah. It was just, you know, that was the, that was a cultural thing has nothing to do with Raymond, but it has to do with my experience in the room. Um, And that was another place where they couldn't do the, uh, the halloween episode
0: of course did you ever pitch something that they were like uh, no we don't do that here or no that's you know you'll go to jail if you do that or
1: well no not not anything that severe you know mostly had to do with holidays
0: oh so say, very simple stuff yeah
1: yeah that like israel and russia they're still western countries so there's not that dissimilar from the yeah. united states yeah the real difference, cultural difference, came in um, India, Yeah. South Asian country, and that was where I, I encountered most of the cultural differences. And it had to do well. First of all, when they were when they wanted to do it, the the Indian executives came to America, and I met with they met with me and Phil Rosenthal at mm-hmm. some restaurant in Culver City, and the first thing they said to us was. Can, would the show work if the parents actually lived in the same house as the family? And Phil and I kind of looked at each other for about five seconds and go, yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. You know, in America, that would be odd. But in India, when a couple gets married, the wife goes to live with the groom's family.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: And so for us, we were saying, yeah, that's actually... Mm -hmm easier because you don't have to make excuses for them coming over. They live there.
0: Exactly. And so they
1: will be intrusive. And they made it, they made it a duplex anyway. Like the, yeah. the parents live downstairs, the, you know, the, or vice versa, I forget which, what, where it was and the, and the family lives upstairs. And, you know, so it was the same it made no difference at all. And the reason they enjoyed the show or well, they thought the show would work was because of the relationship that naturally the conflict that naturally comes from uh, a young woman moving into the older woman's domain, so the right. mother-in-law daughter-in-law relationship, and yeah. it's actually the um, soap operas are the staple of their television. Oh. And because India is a huge country; they speak all these different languages. Yeah, I was in Mumbai, which is the sophisticated, uh, you know, uh, college-educated people but in the rest of the country and, and, and sure i'm in the other big cities they have many other big cities but um it, the soap operas are the thing that drives the television viewing
0: interesting
1: and a lot of the soap operas i was told are this mother-in-law daughter-in-law conflict and so they thought this would fit perfectly yeah except those are dramas
0: yeah but this is right do they have any comedies like that or just this was kind of like they have
1: have comedies and the first day i was there they gave me kind of a seminar on indian Mm -hmm. television this is where i learned about the soaps and everything and that the woman the the mother controls the remote control in the household not the father
0: oh wow
1: yeah and there is a lot more reverence for
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, older people than there is in country yeah so they first did this sort of workshop for me to tell me what Indian television was about and uh at the end my jaw was on the floor because when they do comedy it's much broader than anything we do here. Yes. Actually I think if you watch exporting Raymond it it was the kind of the same thing in in Russia the comedy was just very much broader. And Raymond is, uh, you know, it's based on relationships and and behavior, and it's not wild and wacky for the most right. part. Right, exactly. But their comedy is their very in-your-face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they showed me some examples of their comedy, and they would have a very, first of all, a very mechanical laugh track, which was didn't sound like a real human being. It was like, ah, 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 they made no oh, attempt no. to end laughs or make it sound like you know it was a theatrical experience because in America, it's a theatrical. There are real people laughing, and you you know they, the laughs have their own you know human character. But this yeah. was very mechanical, so that was one thing. The other thing was they literally had uh, bells and whistles on the punchlines, like what? You know, like a slide whistle, like a wham. Or wah wah, or uh-huh. I can't even reproduce the sounds, and just to make sure that you knew there was a joke—literally oh bells and whistles plus this terrible laugh track on the um, on the shows for very broad comedy, for very people screaming and uh, you know, making,
0: yeah, like making. totally mugging. And- and so
1: at the end of this, my eyes were like, "Holy shit!" So <laughs> I, I can't put, you know,
0: no. and they
1: said, no, 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 we want to do it, you know, that that way. And so wow. we, and so they did. And um, it was moderately successful. Ultimately, it was not a big hit like it was in Russia. And part of the reason was, I think uh, the Indian people, the audience didn't know what to do with it because they put it like in between all these soap operas. Oh, and it's really not good. a soap opera. It's 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 ironic.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's sarcastic. It's an unsentimental view of family life. Yes. You know, and so I just didn't I guess it just didn't fit. But um, that was a fun thing for me to do, because unlike. Israel, where I was just kind of giving actors notes in Russia, where I never was on stage, I was just in the writer's room here, I was kind of helping them. Uh, invent how to do a sitcom.
0: And Mm -hmm. so we had to,
1: so I I was involved in the casting. I was involved in um, uh, the writing and I was involved in the production. I was involved in all aspects. And because it's so low budget, they um, don't have, they, they can't meld all these things together in the same way. So the guy who's in the writer's room, the head writer who would normally be the showrunner, had to spend all his time in the writer's room and couldn't be on stage. So you kind of left up to the director you'd never want to leave it up to the directors because in a sitcom or any kind of TV, the writers, it's a writer's medium and the writers know the episodes backwards and forwards because they've spent weeks, sometimes months, arguing it out, hammering it out, rewriting, rewriting again. And, uh, Nobody knows the episodes like the writers, so the actors and the director get it for one week. You know, they get it, they get, they get it over the weekend. They read it over the weekend, then they have a table read on Monday, and by you know four days later, they're uh, doing it. Yeah. Actually, in this case, they're they reading it on Monday, and we start shooting that day, and mm. you know, you're rehearsing on stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: you wow. couldn't leave that all up to a director. And where you could, I had to leave it up to a director and then there's the post-production aspect, which is now you have an editor who's not involved with the production and not involved the writing. And so I had to find a way to help bridge these three aspects of the production. And make sure that everybody was communicating with each other and that yeah. the intention was true all the way through because at any point it could go off the rails because there's a misunderstanding about what this meant and the actors doing it all wrong because the writer is not there to say, no, this is what we meant or rewriting it to make it make sense to them, whatever that was. And so, you know, we we came up with uh, like a guy who was kind of a floater who was in the writer's room, but would come down to the stage and report back and forth and then, then communicate with the post people. So it was, a complex kind of, uh, thing like that. And, and a lot of fun for that reason. But
0: yeah.
1: the first day we, we were cast, we were rehearsing and we're rehearsing in, uh, in the center of Mumbai is a park, a wildlife park, basically, where they do a lot of, uh, shooting of their films that uh, a lot of the outdoor stuff, but it's in the center of this city that's teeming with people but it is jungle and deep into this jungle are panthers and there are monkeys all over the place oh. and the monkeys learn that where the humans are there's going to be food around
0: and really
1: to coming they say watch your lunch because they're going to come and steal your lunch <laughs> or, steal
0: your monkeys
1: <laughs> or whatever and first day of rehearsal we're in this big stage and I see a family of monkeys come through <laughs> into the on the raft, and they're standing on the rafters,
0: yeah,
1: and, and watching us. And we finish this scene, and all of a sudden, a huge stream of urine just comes down and
0: splatters <laughs> on the floor. Oh God.
1: And I remember looking up into the rafters and saying, "Come on, it's just a rehearsal. Give us <laughs> everybody's a critic."
0: What did they say?
1: The monkeys did not speak, oddly enough. They, they, did,
0: not. they did not speak
1: hmm. English. No, they, um, and I don't know if I can tell you this story because it's kind of physical that I can tell you kind of a dirty story, right?
0: Of course, this is like, yeah. whatever. I, yeah, I, we can I, do whatever we want. I can
1: pull this off. That first day, you know, I was fascinated with the monkeys, you know, as, as most
0: yeah. <laughs> They're almost like us. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so as I'm going to my car, um, uh, and everybody gets driven in mumbai because the traffic you know you, people think traffic in la is something we're pussies
0: are you serious mumbai
1: it is crazy and, you, and it's
0: so not orderly it's like no, is where i come from it's a mess too yeah Mainz it's awful just,
1: you know uh for decoration basically yeah and the fact that there's so many different conveyances there's cars there's trucks there's buses there's these three-wheeled sort of uh, motorized rickshaws, Ooh. people on bicycles, families, whole families on bikes, and plus pedestrians, and yeah. and everybody's jockeying for position. So, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody has a driver because yeah. you would go insane. So I had a driver uh, who was driving me in this SUV, and I'm about to, uh, I go out of this dirt road where the car is parked, and across the road are a group of monkeys. On a low branch that sort of hangs like you know, uh, it's not a low branch. there's a low stump that's sort of at a forty-five degree angle, and they're all in a, in a line, and I and I'm enthralled. And so I take a couple steps toward them across the street. And get about the middle of the street, and this one monkey—I should do. It, I can't. Wish I'd do it this way. This one monkey screeches, jumps up onto the next monkey hooks on and starts humping this monkey like this. (laughs) Never taking his eyes off of me. Like, you take one more step, pal. (laughs) And so I backed off.
0: Yeah, no, we, Uh, no.
1: Yeah, I get it, I get it, you know. And what was also funny is that the monkey who was getting humped kind of looked around like, this guy, don't don't listen to him. He thinks he's a tough guy, you know. While well, oh, being humped, he or she being humped, but uh,
0: oh my god, wow yeah, that's intense.
1: Yeah, so that that was kind of uh, the other thing. But the indie experience again, low budget. You know, by the by the end of Raymond, I I don't know. You know, Ray was making so much money per episode as were all the other actors, and we were doing okay too. So the budget per episode. I don't know if it was a million, a million and a half, at least a million. I don't know how high it got by the end. Uh, I know at one point, probably in the middle, before Ray got his, it was at least a million dollars. And I asked the producer of The Indian, how much can you spend on each episode? $30,000. What? That's why the stage has a dirt floor. And they don't have what they call swing sets, which are sets for that aren't your usual, you know, the house, the
0: yeah.
1: kitchen, you know, they, we had, a, they had, a, everything was permanently there. They did have a restaurant and they did have some other thing. I forget uh, that was permanently there in addition to the bedroom set and the kitchen set and the, you know, the parents' house. And, uh, and they had in this stage had a corrugated roof. This is, this is, a this is in Mumbai where we actually shot it. The, the, yeah. Not in the jungle where we just rehearsed, where the monkeys were.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so we weren't there. I was there in November, December. It wasn't monsoon season. And but it did rain one day while we were rehearsing. And it's it's pounding, the rain is pounding on this corrugated roof. It's like thunder.
0: Yeah.
1: We had to stop because you can't hear anything. That's and I asked the producer, I said, what are you guys gonna do when you in monsoon season when it's raining every day constantly? Mm-hmm and he said we just put straw on the roof. And I thought well $30,000 it's it's a low tech solution to to that problem that's, never that's yeah
0: we wow. just,
1: just put straw on the roof.
0: What a difference like that yeah. kind of shocking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy.
0: So crazy. Wow. What other cultural differences did you did you find that were new to you?
1: Well, the cultural differences, again, had to do with um, holidays, had to do with um, the reverence, a little more reverence toward the, uh, yeah. uh, the elderly. Um, I showed them one episode, which was actually a famous episode for Raymond. I think it was Tucker Colley's episode, uh, the Baggage episode, which won an Emmy. And in that episode, Deborah, I mean uh, Peter Boyle as Frank, is sitting in the easy chair, and he says something sort of misogynistic. And Deborah comes around and just reads him the riot. It stands over him, reads him the riot act. Yeah. And Frank is so taken aback, he goes, "Oh, I guess you've thought a lot about this more than I have, you know." And I sh- we we showed that episode in the writers' room. And they said, oh, we could never do that episode. We could never have the daughter-in-law yell at the father-in-law. Right. That way. And then I thought, you know what? You're right. Because that episode in our series took place in season six. And you couldn't, in season one of Raymond, do that episode. Because even here, you would not, you would think that was inappropriate. because." Yeah. But after six seasons of Frank, of no Frank is,
0: (laughs) it's appropriate.
1: Overwhelmed and oppressed, Deborah is by that. Yes, Yes. by the time the sixth season rolls around and she's reading the Ryan Act, the audience is going,
0: "Yeah!" Exactly, we're rooting for her. Yes.
1: So I don't know if they ever would have been able to do that episode had it, uh, you know, gone that far, but. Even there, it would have been uh, inappropriate early on to do that episode.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I know that this was shot like a while ago, but is there anything similar to like a woke culture over there? Or are they more conservative, like old-fashioned?
1: Well, yeah, I, I'd assume. I mean, again, I can't speak for I mean, the last time I was in India was I think 24. Fourteen, maybe. So it was eight yeah. years. Ago. Well. So I, I it's, these these places I were were generally more conservative. Yeah. Anyway, although again, the difference between people in the city
0: and, and yeah,
1: country. I mean, you know, as a stand-up. Yeah. You know, when I was doing stand-up in New York, the audience in Manhattan was different than the audience on Long Island.
0: Totally. Yes.
1: I mean on Long Island you, you be you could be bigger and broader. And in Manhattan, they're looking for something a little more heady, intellectual, sophisticated. Although, you know, every you know, funny is funny.
0: Exactly. But, uh
1: so you know, people would ask me about in America, what are the, you know, difference between north and south. And I say, you know, I don't see a whole lot of difference between the audience in New York and the audience in Atlanta. Mm-hmm where i see it is the audience in atlanta and the audience in you know uh the country of you know in georgia or like i said in from new york to new jersey or new york to long island or or whatever yes it it has to do with it really more urban suburban yes is is the difference and i suspect that same in all these countries but the um uh I would say that, no, they would probably, it would probably be similar. Like I said, in Russia, they seem to be like 20 years behind us in terms Crazy.
0: of wow. uh,
1: their understanding of uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: LGBTQ issues. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, are there any stories uh, on said? Any, you can spill the tea.
1: Well, I mean, uh, do we have any questions from the audience or anything? Is anybody? Oh,
0: well, they're just, let's see. Um,
1: well, while I, while I, no stop. questions,
0: but just praising you. This has been one really enlightening show. Um, let's see. Oh, look at this one. Patricia says, great experiences. I'm surprised the Russians didn't monitor your postings too done, maybe now? I don't,
1: I don't think they care. And the pictures have all expired. Uh, I had to like send oh. to them. I couldn't have that because I couldn't get the rights to the actual pictures. But uh, so that bit is probably uh, expired. Oh, here's another thing. about yes. Russia. Um, of course, I was trying to learn. Uh, I wasn't trying to learn the language, but I was trying to pronounce to decipher signage. Mm-hmm. So I kind of learned the alphabet and what each sound stood for, and oh. what you find out, what I found out in Russia is that uh, a lot of Russian is um, it's it's English word order kind of it's 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 that because Cyrillic is um, I just different symbols for different sounds rather than our alphabet, our Arabic alphabet, and a lot of what the words are have French roots. Oh. Uh, because the the aristocracy in Russia, if you were a sophisticated aristocrat, you spoke French. Interesting. In the you know 17th century, the 18th century, and and before, I guess. And so I could sound I would sound out of words as uh, you know. I had about a half hour drive uh, to the uh, to the studio. From my apartment and so I would spend a lot of time just trying to decipher signs and sounding them out and checking with my driver if I was pronouncing it correctly and it would be like I would see a sign that said and I sounded out like salon, sal- salon, salon or studio and oh. these were all French kind of uh, Latin root words yeah wow and, you know as long as I knew what how to pronounce the, uh, the letters, then I could kind of decipher the words. And there's one word in a Russian that, uh, cause some of the alphabet looks like, uh, English words, like there's this thing, that looks like a P and a T and an O and an E, but they make different sounds than we associate with them. So in Russian, the word for restaurant, looks like it's pectopah p-e-c-t-o-p-o-a-h something like that so it it looks like to us pectopah and so when uh, the russian producer came into the room one day and and uh, you know i i would spend my off time kind of studying my uh my phonics and he was talking to me oh they were very pleased that i was trying to at least decipher the language if not learn it and uh he said, "What do you know, well, So I was, I, you know, I know pectapa. Said, What's what's pectapa? You know, restaurant. And I said, "How how do you pronounce it?" And he goes, "Restaurant." <laughs> <laughs> a nice word, restaurant, is a, is a you know Latin based word. So they pronounce the restaurant, but to us, it looks like because, Pectapa because because it has all of those English uh, letters in it.
0: Oh how interesting
1: p, thing it looks like a p to us is it has an R sound.
0: Oh wow, it's yeah. so difficult. I would never even try to learn.
1: Well, all I could do was you know it, it was like a puzzle and, and kind of uh, try to sound memorize it. different uh, phonics of it.
0: Well here we have Sonny what uh, did they think of American television?
1: Well, obviously they loved it because they were importing our stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't have the budgets and the money to do it the way we do, uh, for the most part. So the idea of having a writer's room uh, is is foreign to these countries. You know, they're used to one writer writing everything, like, you know, Aaron Sorkin or something. That's the only one we've got, or David Kelly, who writes everything. Uh, So uh, this is the first time for them having writer's rooms, except Israel. In Israel... Uh, Daniel uh, Lappin, he wrote everything himself. He didn't. Yeah. He and his wife Gaia, uh, you know, translated and adapted the episodes themselves, and they saved them money that way. But the whole idea of having a uh, writers' room is different. And again, they, you know, they like American television. I imagine it's even more so now. I think be, with streaming, because this is all kind of pre-streaming. So there's so many um things that are international now that go both ways i mean Absolutely. we watch korean dramas and uh, uh you know and they watch our shows so it, there's much more uh, uh interaction and, and we adapt yeah. we've adapted a number of shows from israel um that spy show i forget what the name of it is uh, came from israel and there's some show on hbo about psychiatrist that was also adapted from from israel um so that's uh a two-way street now it's not simply one way and and uh th- you know they do some great stuff the, the french Lupin. we 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 watched at our house um so it's the world is getting much smaller that smaller.
0: way absolutely yeah Patricia is asking you, how long were you at each country? Hi,
1: Patricia. I know Patricia. We were. I was in Israel for five weeks. I was in uh, Russia for two months. And I was in India for a total of two months, like, uh, like about uh, six weeks and then two weeks uh, at a time. They, they asked me to come back after I had been there for the initial uh, six weeks and um yeah like i say it was it was a great way to, i'm still in contact with some of the people in india contact with some uh, nice. one person in russia who is actually um uh through facebook messaging me once the ukraine war started because oh, they, wow. she wanted to know what the western press was saying because it was pretty suppressed there mm-hmm. and so i was sending her what our take on all of this was and uh and you know she was uh, upset about it. You know, mm-hmm. upset
0: about what's
1: going on? You know, yeah. uh, so I was in contact with her just recently. Uh, some of the people in India, I still, you know, Facebook has, has enabled us to kind of stay yes. in touch. And uh, and Daniel Lapin, who is from Israel, uh, a few years after I worked with him, came to America, where they were trying to adapt his show from Israel to uh America and they actually you know did a pilot and everything the pilot didn't get picked up but that was a case of a Israeli show coming here, Israeli format uh, being adapted it was going to have Jason Jones and uh, uh a few other you know well-known American actors in it but uh yeah
0: nice so Nate is asking you if does Steve Scrobin do acting
1: uh, I have. I mean, I you yeah, know, I'm right? performer as a stand-up comedian. I studied acting. I was in some plays and, uh, uh, you know, uh, could do something if I was asked to do it, but nobody's going to ask me to do anything. Um, it's acting. <laughs> Writing is much harder than acting.
0: Yeah. You, you did stand up like a couple of years ago or something, right? Do you, do you like when you do stand up again? Do you enjoy it? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I enjoy the process. I don't enjoy the lifestyle of it, you know? Yeah, the, I know, right? All of that. So I'm not up for that. No. Really getting a chance to go up, you know, even if somebody wants to hear some old man do his jokes. Um, I've done that. I did Wendy Liebman's room a few years ago before nice. quarantine. And and I do at my college reunion uh, every five years. I put together a, like a half hour, 45 minute set. Nice. Do that. So I'm always collecting jokes, and probably, uh and I'm coming out with a Substack um, on the Substack platform. Uh, I'll probably be doing more of the kind of stuff that I did on Facebook during the quarantine year. Uh, but it'll, it'll be an audio version of. It won't be that stuff. Some of it may be adapted from that, but it'll be stand-up, basically five minutes or three minutes at a time. Nice. If I have a bit, and you can subscribe to that on Substack, but I haven't quite gotten that together yet. So look out for
0: that. Definitely guys look out for that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Sonny has a question. Would Raymond have continued if Peter Boyle hadn't gotten so sick?
1: No. Uh, We were determined to end it for creative reasons. The fact that Peter and Doris, uh, we never knew how really sick Peter was. He kept that a secret. Yeah. So um, the network wanted us to go at least two more years. Les Moonves wanted us to go two more years. Yeah. But we had already done a lot of shows. Um, You know, I think Seinfeld was on for the same amount of years, nine years, but they did like 189 shows. We did 210 shows because we were doing sometimes 24, 26 episodes a year. Wow. So we had a lot of shows banked, even though it was over the course of nine years. And so that final year, uh, Phil and Ray were negotiating for the final year. And Phil said, um, OK, I'm going to go around the room and see how many ideas we have. And then we'll double it and we'll tell them that's how many we're doing for the final year. So we went around the room, eight of us, and we had eight ideas. And he said, OK, we're going to do 16 shows for the end. And that's what they did. And part of it was because you know we knew Peter and Doris, they were having trouble remembering lines. And Peter, just getting him through a show where he had a heavy, like on Raymond, every, every character had at least, uh, other than Ray, had at least two shows that kind of focused on them. Like the kids had two shows that were sort of kid-oriented. There were two, always two like Frank-oriented shows, always two Marie-oriented shows, two Deborah-oriented shows, two Robert-oriented shows. And then, um, you know, Ray was, you know, obviously, you know, the central to all of them. But the peter Center shows, especially that final season, it was tough for him mm. to get just energy-wise. And oh. um, so we didn't know exactly. We didn't know how sick he was, but we knew he was having a tough time. And but mainly Phil said he always said this from the beginning. He said he never saw a show get better after seven years. And here we were in season eight and they wanted us to do season nine and we wanted to end on our own terms. And, uh, if we had stayed those extra two years, we would have had to do the Frank dies show. Ooh. Peter died within a year and a half. Oh, the show ending. Yeah. So we, you know, uh, not knowing how sick he was avoided that, uh, and you know that would have been a sad thing for all of us
0: right We're i agree
1: it, as it was cuz peter he wasn't that old uh,
0: how how old the, was he when he passed away
1: 70s i think it was mid 70s oh
0: yeah that's not that old
1: that you know if that maybe early 70s so um uh yeah, yeah that was uh uh we could have gone forever you know and, and the russian showed us that you know at least i don't know how good those shows are that they've done, those extra 200 shows they've done in Russia. Yeah. I probably would shudder to to see them. But they, you know, like when I came back eight years later, we came up with, I think, 16 fresh episodes in those two months.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So prolific. Insane. And here Sonny is saying thank you for a nine-year vacation from this crazy world.
1: <laughs> thank you, Sonny. <laughs> Our pleasure. It's still on. I mean, this, it's amazing how uh, the show is still on, you know. so uh,
0: One of know. the best shows of all time, for sure.
1: Yeah, it was, tw- it was. we just had the 25th anniversary of the first season, you know. So all my hair was the same color. <laughs>
0: <laughs> time flies for all of us. <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. Well, you've been going for over an hour. I knew you had some incredible tea.
1: I can talk my ass off the
0: table. You brought it. (laughs) Wind me up. (laughs) And it was all Earl Grey. So thank you. All
1: right, everybody. I hope you all have hot laps.
0: Yes, thank you guys for tuning in, and thank you, Steve, for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and always spilling great tea. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Grace. Thanks, everybody.
0: All All right. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.